As the children make their way to their worship centers, I invite you to open your Bible, whether you brought one with you or one in the pew, um, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. That is the text that today we will soak ourselves in and sign, think of a tea bag, soaking it into, um, soaking it into the water. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27 through 31. Um, 1 Corinthians is one of the earlier epistles, one of the earlier letters in the New Testament. So you'll make your way through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then through the book of Acts, the story of the apostles, then Romans, a very long epistle from Paul, and then 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, which is something of the in-between of two very familiar passages. 1 Corinthians 12, many of us have probably read through before talking about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, many of us are familiar with because of the love chapter um, that we have heard, love is patient, love is kind. And yet here, at the end of chapter 12, we have the passage that bridges these two together, both thinking about our gifts and also thinking about pursuing, experiencing our gifts in the fullness of God's love and exercising them as such. So before we come to God's word together this day, I invite you to pray with me. God, may your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and the glory of Christ, our primary concern. Lord, we come to you believing and knowing that we are fully equipped to understand your word, for it is in your faithfulness that you speak to our hearts. Lord, as we come to you, may we approach with confidence that you will sustain us with that what we stand in need of, to be your faithful disciples this week. Lord, in your goodness and in your mercy, send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray, that your word may be alive to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 31. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a reminder of where we will be this fall, is we're going to continue to study together what what our consistory and ministry teams have come up with for a a focus point of what we're all about at North Holland. Identity, scripture, and mission. Asking the questions of who are we, how do we know, and what does that mean? And thinking specifically how that's manifested here in terms of hospitality and equipping and belonging. Do we practice hospitality both as guest and as host? Do we create a sense of belonging here? Do we know what it looks like for someone to belong in this place? And do we think that we are being equipped for what God has called us to? 
both prayerfully growing ourselves into what God has equipped us to do and also being mindful of the ways in which we equip one another along the way. Now, last week, we took a dive into the the confusing role that we play of having so many things competing for our identities. Who are you? What kind of label is on you to define you as a person? And this is a, there's even stacks of things below this, if you didn't see the progression last week, of all kinds of things that compete for this is who you are. This is what's claiming your identity. And yet when we boil all of that away, we came last week to the same words that Nathan led us in this morning. The reminder that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God from 1 Peter chapter 2. And the echoing of the same sense of identity comes to us in 1 Corinthians 12, where we are told, you are the body of Christ, and each and every single one of you belongs to it, is equipped for it, and is sent on Christ's mission to build his kingdom here. This is the identity piece, but today we think, too, about equipping about all of these different gifts that we are given. There's innumerable amounts of gifts listed in Scripture. And so as we consider identity and equipping, how those work within each other, and that we're equipped not just so that we can feel good about ourselves, but we are equipped for a sense of mission, consider the three things from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that maybe stand out. One at the front and two right at the end where we're actually bridging into 1 Corinthians 13. We're told you are the body of Christ. This is your identity, that you belong here. And that you don't belong here just for the sake of these walls, but that you belong here as people of God. That when we get together for worship, when we gather for fellowship, you are with the people that you belong with, but you are sent Not just to belong here, but also equipped here to be sent out for mission. You are the body of Christ. And then some gifts are listed that that Christ has given to his church. And then we come to the end of the chapter where we're told to eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Maybe that's a stumbling point where you think, you know, I've got some lesser gifts, but I'm not sure about those greater gifts In fact, if I were to say that I have those greater gifts, wouldn't I be arrogant on my part? And the conclusion of the chapter, I will show you the most excellent way. Now, what are those gifts that are listed first, second, and third? The apostles, the prophets, and the teachers. And then it seems like after that, did did you notice that the text stopped listing them off in order? First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, And then it's like everything else got a tie for fourth place. Kind of like all the gifts after that, like our participation trophy status, so it would seem. Why are these first three listed off in an order? Being careful to both pursue these greater gifts, to eagerly desire them, means that we we can't say that those must be for someone else. If we're told to eagerly desire the greater gifts, we do have to look at what these first three are but not to be intimidated by them and not to misunderstand their use, their authority, or the ways in which the church is equipped with them. Looking first at apostles. Apostle, most literally, is a sent one. 
from the Greek word apostello. We didn't have as many songs for Greek, but, you know, some things just work for different brains, as you can fully experience between Pastor Audrey and I. (laughs) Apostle is a sent one. Apostello, I send. That's all that word means as a verb. And apostles are first. Because Jesus Christ called the 12 apostles to be with him, to be that core group of disciples, they were called first. And they were sent. They were gathered to Christ, but they were also sent out. Now, can we eagerly desire this gift? Because none of us are quite old enough to have been one of the first 12. Apostle being a sent one is a certain giftedness, but it didn't close with the 12. Because even after Judas betrayed Jesus and after Judas's death, one of the first things that the apostles do in the book of Acts is they appoint Matthias as the successor to Judas. And I say successor, not replacement, because not any one of us here are replaceable. You, as you have been called and equipped and gifted and created by God, none of you are replaceable. But we do have successors that take our places. Where one person does their faithful work and moves on to something else, there is a successor that takes their place, just as Matthias was chosen to be Judas's successor. Apostles are a sent one. And there's a certain amount of this gift that we are to eagerly desire in mindset, if nothing else. Where are you sent during the week? As Vicki gave us an update for hand, hand and Kids Hope, consider if you're sent. When you go across the street, when you meet with a student for mentoring, are you sent there as an apostle to that school? What about your workplace? Is that a place where you are sent? Sometimes we don't feel all the way equipped for everything that we need to be called to do, and we'll get there. Just, but for now, just try on that mindset. What does it look like to believe that you are an apostle that you are sent to the places that you go during the week. Whether that be in your home or in the workplace or in the grocery store, where are you sent during the week? What does that look like to consider being sent? These are the apostles. This is all of us to pursue a mindset. Prophets are simply the mouthpiece of God. Prophets speak God's truth. And this doesn't mean that if you're pursuing uh, a gift of being a prophet that you're trying to look into the future because much of the prophets is about describing what is already existing now. If you read through the book of Isaiah, there are things about the future, but they always come predicated after the way things are right now. That even when Isaiah prophesies about destruction for Israel and Judah, It's coming after times where Isaiah is describing the ways in which we have embraced injustice. We have anointed our heads with iniquity. He's saying this will bring us to a conclusion. Apostles speak a wise word on God's behalf. Could you be a mouthpiece of God? Is it not the word of God to say, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you? This is to eagerly desire the gift of speaking God's word to someone who may need to hear it. A prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf. And third, teachers. 
Teachers are the explainers. They came third because there had to be something put in place to explain. The apostles were called to Christ, and those 12 were then sent out two by two, never on our own. We don't do any of this on our own. The apostles were sent out. The prophets continued to speak the word of the Lord, much like Stephen the martyr in in early Acts was sent to be God's mouthpiece as a deacon in the midst of a world that was oppositional to the church. And then from that, many teachers emerge, teachers who understand what is going on and can explain it to others. And to quote Mark Twain, the one who teaches learns twice. So often by teaching, by the practice of teaching, we learn more about what we're trying to explain because it forces us to anticipate the questions that we would be asked. Apostles, prophets, and teachers. Can we try on the mindset of those things, to not think of them as far off or aloof, but that as an apostle you are sent to where you go, that your words should be words of grace and mercy and truth, and that as a teacher you can explain something of your faith, that you can understand your identity, you can know scripture, and have a sense of your mission to know that that is part of what you are all about. Now, still, I know that there's, there can be a disconnect. You think, that's for, that's for people who speak up front and do all those kinds of things. You know, there's a very short list of people that we can coax up front to give announcements. What about, those just don't seem like my gifts. I want to tell you a story of someone who I think is very gifted, a few people, There's two different groups in my hometown um, that do excavating and heavy equipment operation. Um, Bill Mish, Mish Excavating, and Groob Construction. And these two groups are the primary excavator, bulldozer, equipment operators in our area. And I love watching those people work. That's some of the most fun that I have. That's some of Ada's favorite things to watch is the excavators. They're just fun to watch. And I love watching people who are good at what they do. It's an art. It's a craft. And to know that none of them were born with this innate ability, but they grew into it. A smooth equipment operator can just feel and sense and know things as they do their good work. I grew up in Jasper County, Indiana. And Jasper County, Indiana is floodplain. But this picture here, Where that gator is parked, uh, that driveway where Tim is parked and the rest of it used to go all the way through. This was earlier this year in February and March when the Grand Kankakee Marsh flooded. That driveway got washed out by active current trenching away, not just sitting water on top, but trenched away a driveway. On either the right or the left, on the right side is a seep strip, on the left is about a 120-acre field, but it all looks like a lake. The floodwaters took over a lot of DeMott, Indiana, and some of Wheatfield. There's houses that look like they're lakefront property, they're not. Their cornfield front property, but they became lakefront for a bit. And all of this happened because there was snow melting, there was water rising, and there was rain coming. And so from north central Indiana all the way to the Mississippi River by Fulton, Illinois area, and I'll let Ren and Bobby and the Conovers, people who hail or have connections from Fulton, tell you what it was like over there. Um, but starting from central Indiana all the way to the Mississippi Valley, there was flood. Things were getting washed away. 
And the Grand Kankakee Marsh has a special feature where on the north side of the river, it's clay. It holds just fine. But on the south, it's a sandy marshland. We farm on the south side. And what that means is that even to get to the river to try to repair the banks as they swell and as they break, you can't get to them in certain points because there is a deep marshland preventing you from driving an excavator to the river bank. Sometimes there's just no way to win. The banks were starting to swell. You could see water bubbling in the marsh, which means that you know that there's water moving underneath the bank. And on the river bank itself, water was cutting away. Mish excavating and group construction were sent, like the apostles to the floodplain, to use their gifts to try to save the river bank. There was only so much they could do. And they had to almost relay between excavators to get enough material to the bank to even put anything in the voids that were washing away. You can almost see in this picture an excavator that's making its way towards the, towards the river but through the marshland and a spot where water was already flowing over the banks. Mish and Grube worked together for several days as the floodwaters kept rising. They patched the banks in certain points. They made it possible for people to sandbag other areas, but the breaches kept happening until finally a major area that could not be reached. They got one excavator to it and were trying to put material into it, but Mish had to keep backing up because the bank that he had parked his excavator on was washing away underneath the treads. He backed up, and eventually the bank was lost. Does that mean that he's not good at what he does? Does it mean that the endeavor was a failure? Does it mean that he was not equipped to be an excavator operator? No, no, and no. And I, I use this story rings true for me as we consider times where we have been sent and we feel like we failed. That we, we tried our best, but it didn't work out. The riverbank still broke, so to speak. But as we consider our identity and the fact that we were equipped by God, sometimes we do end up over our heads. And it does not mean that it was a total loss, even if we feel like we encountered failure. Even as the bank was washed away. It doesn't mean that Bill Mish is not a good operator. When we encounter failure, it does not mean that we are not good servants of God. A few things that were true along the way. One, the work that was done on the riverbank bought people time to evacuate from their homes that they would not have had otherwise. And second of all, because of the places that they did do repairs, where the breach happened was further away from the main road out of DeMott, which is the only emergency route to a hospital. Because of the work that was done, the riverbank still broke. Was it a failure? I don't think so. It bought time. It allowed for good things to happen. What flood do you face? What's the task that maybe you think, I'm not even equipped to make a difference here? Don't count it as failure. 
to try to make some difference along the way. 1 Corinthians 12 lists off these gifts. And I consider in such a story as this that an excavator operator was the one who was sent as an apostle to the banks of the Kankakee River. That as a mouthpiece of wisdom, Bill Mish directed to make sure that no one would be hurt along the way. And that people learn things along the way. Namely, don't build your house too close to floodplain. What are you equipped to do? Does that verse of eagerly desire the greater gifts scare us away from dreaming too big of what we can do for God? Does it make us not think of ourselves as those who are sent or those who can share a word from the Lord or those who can teach? We have gifts of miracles, gifts of healing, helping. Guidance is translated two different ways, even in the NIV. In the 1984 um, version of the NIV, they translated administration. In 2011, guidance. Going back further than that, it's been translated as governance. But these are all different gifts that God has given us. To put our all into, to trust in God's faithfulness, but to pursue, to try things on. To have a mindset of growth that we don't just do the things that we're good at because then we're static and we're fixed, but that we pursue a mindset of growth that we can learn to do better. That anything that you do, you did not necessarily have it come to you easily. Because just because God gave you a gift doesn't make it easy to use. Being equipped does not mean that you won't face challenges or failures. But being equipped means that you have what you need to grow into your gifts. I think of elders and deacons. That one of the ways in which we build each other up is that we recognize a sense of those gifts that we believe people have been equipped with. And when we're nominated, we, we don't say, no, that's too far out of my reach. We do prayerfully consider if this is something that God has called us to grow into. And those who have served many, many times, I believe, would all tell you they learned more as they went. They didn't know everything that they knew the first time. I'm just guessing, Chuck Brower, you've been an elder probably 43,000 times. You probably learned a few things along the way. Any of us that have a gift, which is all of us, have learned to use it along the way. I know when I first started here, I wasn't told that if you fail, we'll get rid of you. I was told, we'll keep you up front until you get it right. And I'm still here. But that's because we continue to grow into our gifts. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are exempt from failure. But failure does not mean that we were exempt from being gifted and equipped in the first place. It means that we pushed up against our comfort zones and tried a little bit harder, that we extended ourselves just one step beyond what we would normally think capable. We are recognizing our own gifts to grow into, and also part of the reason that we ask everyone to prayerfully nominate elders and deacons is because we are recognizing the gifts within the body that is here already that we grow into them together, and that we keep people at it until they get it right. Being gifted does not mean it will come easy, but it does mean that we are equipped and sent. 
And we can't understand our sense of being equipped for mission until we take on the mindset that wherever we go, we have been sent by God as an apostle. And yet Paul says, I will show you the most excellent way. The closing, and many of our Bibles have the subheading over that verse, so it looks like it's part of 1 Corinthians 13. I will show you the most excellent way, even after talking about all these amazing gifts and saying to eagerly desire these gifts like being an apostle and a prophet and a teacher, even to be the excavator who is sent as an apostle to the riverbank that was going to flood anyway. I will show you the most excellent way. And what does this give birth to in the next chapter? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is the most excellent way. And the conclusion of starting from 1 Corinthians 12 and going through 1 Corinthians 13 is that even if you do all these great things, if they're done without love, they don't really count for anything. They don't matter because they're not being focused into the sense of mission that we love the world because God so loved the world. Love is the most excellent way. So we can read these big gifts and know that we're told to eagerly desire these greater gifts, and then we can't shy away from them because the key is that we can do these things with great love. Eagerly desire these greater gifts can also mean to value them highly, to esteem them, to set your sight on them. And the, John Calvin in his commentary reminds us that the church in Corinth was often kind of showy with their use of gifts. And that part of the purpose of 1 Corinthians 12 is remind them not to be showy, but what matters most is building up each other. The edification of the church is what should be valued most highly. And that the gifts that are most valuable in and of themselves are that which are most serviceable to others. If the gifts that are most valuable in and of themselves are that which are most serviceable to others, what does it look like to try that on? To consider yourself an apostle that has been sent out from this place, even today. Does it change our mindset? Does it help us to identify our identity as apostles and that we have been equipped by God's Holy Spirit? And my friends, we will not do this alone. We do this together. Part of why we gather here, part of the importance, is so that we can encourage one another to build each other up, to steer each other in the right direction, and so that we can be encouraged in our times of need. Be sent. Try something on this week that you just might fail at if it means stepping one step beyond your comfort zone to eagerly desire the greater gifts. Do so with love of God, with love of neighbor, and compassion for thyself. Amen. Let's pray. God, you call us to eagerly desire these greater gifts, but we know full well that we do not do them on our own, and that these gifts did not come from nowhere, but they have been sent by your Holy Spirit. We know that you have equipped us, and so we ask now that you equip us with the confidence to pursue great gifts with great love. Lord, may we do this for your kingdom with a sense of mission.
that you have called us to be your people here on the earth with passion, with confidence, and in failure, no shame, but only learning. Help us to learn to be your people. Send us to the floods that we know the floodwaters will overcome, but help us to make the best difference we can along the way and to not count it for nothing. In the name of Jesus Christ, the one who calls us, the one who sends us, amen.